Romans 8, 37. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I really am not overstating it when I say it is an absolute thrill to see you here this morning. It is a delight, and I appreciate the presence of every single one of you, whether you're a returning student or a new student or you've been here learning as a student for a long, long time. We're just glad that you're here this morning. We appreciate so very much your presence. A little boy about four years old came to his parents rather persistently requesting that he have a little brother to play with. And his parents kind of put him off and he kept persisting day after day, week after week. So finally, knowing something that he didn't, they eventually said, I'll tell you what, if you'll pray for two months, God just might send you a little brother. And so he began praying. But having the attention span of a four-year-old, that lasted only for a couple of weeks and then he quit praying. But sure enough, after two months, his mother went to the hospital for a couple of days, came back. The dad said, come here, I want to show you something. Took him back to the bedroom where his mom was. And when he got there, she pulled back the sheet. And there wasn't one baby brother, there was two twins. She said, aren't you glad that you prayed? He said, yeah. Ain't you glad I quit when I did? (laughs) You folks have been praying for a long, long time that uh, we be able to reassemble here at the building. And I hope you'll keep keep praying that the time will come when all of us can be here together. We certainly know that there are people at home that, uh, uh, especially high-risk folks, that have to stay at home for a while and continue to worship online. And we totally understand, support, and endorse that. But we're just delighted to be able to see you here this morning. I hope that we appreciate from our text. If not, we're going to go back and hit it again. That uh, God wants his people to be overcomers. If you look at the text, you'll notice that Paul poses the question there in verse 35. If you'll back up a couple of verses from where David just read, who shall separate us? That's the question that Paul is addressing by inspiration. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he mentions a long list of things with the absolute assurance that none of those things will be able to permanently separate us from the love of the Lord. The faith building question is answered then in in verse 37 that David did read. When he said, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I know that I'm not the first to call your attention to the fact that the passage doesn't say that we'll be conquerors. It says we'll be more than conquerors. And so what I'm saying this morning is that God wants his people to be overcomers. And I think you'll agree with that when I give you the definition of the term. But God will enable his people to be overcomers and to be more than conquerors. But I also have to add this proviso, he will do that only with our cooperation. He's not going to do it for us. It's a a faith response kind of thing. God has given us the instructions. He's given us the demonstration of his ultimate and infinite love. And now he wants us to respond to that in faithful service. And when we do that, he said a part of the package is that you will be more than conquerors. That you'll be able to handle any difficulty that life throws at you. And I think... Certainly this year is a living proof of that very fact that we need that kind of strength and that kind of assurance. The definition of overcomer, and I had to look it up because I wanted to make sure that I gave you an accurate definition, a good working definition, is a person who overcomes something. No, I didn't help me very much either. So I kept reading. What about the next definition? I think this is even more workable. It is someone who succeeds in dealing with or gaining control of some problem or difficulty. 
Now, I can sink my teeth into that. And that certainly is something that every child of God needs in his or her life. We know what problems or difficulties are if we've lived very long at all. You've had some kind of difficulty, some kind of backset, some kind of of problem or trouble that has come into your life, that you need a source of strength that is outside yourself to be able to address that particular problem. The pandemic certainly has brought some unique problems and difficulties. I think we could could all say amen to that, and, and it's brought us some potential dangers. In fact, most of us of reasonable mind, we have to think about and weigh the dangers even when we leave our houses anymore. Are we really, do we want to go there that badly, knowing how many people are going to be there or what the conditions will be? And and all of those things have to be considered and weighed. But it needs to be pointed out that being an overcomer means not living in denial, but it means acknowledging the problems and then successfully dealing with those problems. Not denial, but victory. And so that's what I'm going to be encouraging each of us to to think about this morning and then to actuate and implement in our lives. Now, I don't want this lesson to be negative, but I do think it's cautionary in nature. There are three specific things that I've been thinking about that I think are absolutely necessary for us to focus on and to make sure that we beware of during this time of extreme difficulty for not just the people, the citizens of our own country, but around the world. We're not the only ones who are having to deal with COVID-19. We all understand that. In fact, if I read the paper correctly this morning, Europe is now having a resurgence of cases. And so many of the countries that thought, okay, we've turned the corner on this thing, realized all of a sudden, no, we haven't. So this is a problem for all of mankind right now. But I think that as God's people, we need to make sure that others see us dealing with and reacting to the difficulty and the trouble that we are now beset with in a way that demonstrates and shows them our sincere faith in God. And and, and again, three things that I want to specifically notice. First of all, I think there's a danger in disengaging in our worship to God. And I know that because I, like you, worshiped only online for about four and a half months before we were able to come back to the building for the first time last Sunday morning. And as I sat in my living room for the past four and a half months watching the live stream worship, it occurred to me how easily it is to get distracted. And maybe that very thought was a distraction. I'm not sure, but, but how I began to look around and think of the things that needed to be done, you know, especially before the day was over. I could easily look at my phone, check my messages, or maybe even play a game instead of looking at the TV where the service was being streamed. I'm not saying I did any of those things, young people, but I am saying that the possibility and the temptation certainly was there. And of course, those things don't have to happen, but they could have. And by the way, have you noticed this? You can get distracted even when you're in the church building surrounded by a lot of other people. And so fighting distractions is nothing new for us as worshipers, but it's an even greater danger, I think, when we're not at the church building and when we're not surrounded by our spiritual family who is encouraging us and helping us to focus on all the right things. Another danger that I've noticed over the past few months of worshiping online only, it, was, it would have been very easy for me to have become a, a spectator instead of a participant. I mean, that's normally the way I watch television. I, it's not an uh, interactive sort of uh, activity for at least most of us. And, and, and that's where we were watching on our big screen down, downstairs. We were watching television. We had, you know, interacted our, our laptop. And so we were watching it on television. And 
very easy for, for me to become disengaged from, from worship by just watching it like I do any other kind of uh, thing that might be streamed on my television set. You know, it, it was the first time in my life as a preacher that for any prolonged period of time, I had, I had to watch myself preach on TV. And let me share something with you. I didn't like it. I, I, I'm certainly my own most stringent critic. I understand that. But uh, I, I sat there thinking every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, that there's got to be something better than this. And, and there is. I think we all acknowledge. The ideal is that God's people be together. But that challenge isn't new to us either. How many times can we come to the church building and content ourselves with being spectators and not participants? In fact, Elton Trueblood, in one of his books, it says that in his estimation, the greatest danger for believers in the 21st century is the dreaded disease of spectatoritis. And I think he's correct about that. It's very easy for us to sit on the sidelines and watch others as they participate in all the godly exercises that they need to be participating in. But to watch others, and, and, and I, you probably have noticed this, you don't have to be a psychologist to be able to make this observation, that when we, when we relegate ourselves to being a, a, an observer, a spectator, instead of a participant, usually we wind up being critics, don't we? And so we began to critique what other people are doing when they're actually doing the things that we ought to be doing. So if we come to be inspired and to be edified and to be uplifted by our worship, then, then we will be. So we've got, to, we've got to come here with a right focus in mind, with the right desire in mind, and that is that we're going to praise God and we're going to encourage one another as God's people because if, if my understanding of worship is in place, that's exactly what God wants us to be doing. But that first has to be a priority for us when we come to worship, whether that's here or whether we're just you know, sitting in our living rooms watching the service online. Have you also noticed that we tend to evaluate a, a worship service based on how we feel afterward? It's very easy for us to have an, an emotional kind of response to, to a worship service. By that I mean we can ask questions like, did, did I like the song selection? Did I identify with the men who, who led the prayers? And I guess the biggie is, did I like the sermon? And to be perfectly honest, there are some who just skip the questions and go right to the answers. I didn't like the songs. I did not identify with the men. They, the prayer was way too long and I didn't like the sermon. But watch this, every one of those statements is a statement that a spectator would make. When, when we become participants, that is a game changer. All of a sudden we recognize that there is a different dynamic at play here. Is that I have a responsibility, a privilege, yes, but also a responsibility to make sure that my head is on straight. I'm thinking about the right things. I'm focused on the right priorities in my life so that worship becomes meaningful to me. Now, I'm not near as bold as the guy who preached about 75 years ago, well-known in West Tennessee, who did a lot of meetings. And one lady came to him rather uh, acerbically after a service and said, I didn't get anything out of your sermon. And he said, maybe it's because you didn't bring anything to put it in. Ow. 75 years later, you couldn't get away with that, could you? You would have a U-Haul truck parked in your driveway the next morning. But we've got to make sure that as, as worshipers, we have accepted the responsibility and, and also the God-designed privilege of, of worship in a very personal way so that we become participants and, and that we accept that responsibility. So 
Every one of those statements, again, that I, that I just made are statements that a spectator would make. But if we're not very careful, we can have the attitude of, what's in it for me when I come to worship? What, what can, can others do for me? And this is a very dangerous and, and, and wrong-headed focus. Let me remind all of us that when we worship, and, and this is a very simple statement, but I hope you take it home with, with you and you think about it and you ponder on it. When we come here to worship, God is the audience. God is the one who's doing the spectating. We sometimes call this area up here the stage. Well, we ought not to do that because that leaves the impression that we come to, to theater to watch someone perform. No, that's, that's not how this works. Every one of us, every one of us is participating in the play of life. And God is the one who is the audience. And he's the one who's doing the evaluating and the critiquing, as it were. So we need to understand that when we come to worship. Maybe you've already come to realize this central truth, and I think it's expressed in Scripture, at least in principle, even if you can't find a specific verse for it, that God doesn't really need our worship in the way that we need certain things. God is an all-sufficient God. He is an omniscient, omnipotent God. And so it's not like he's sitting around waiting for Sunday morning going, I really need this. No, God recognizes that we need this. And, and that we need to come and have opportunities where we can praise and honor God for who he is, for what he's done for us, what he's promised to do for us in the future. And, and once all of those things are in place, then, then again, worship will take on a completely different dimension, a completely different dynamic for every one of us. At least that's what Paul told the Athenians in Acts 17. If you want to turn there, take a look at it. But there are several things that Paul said to those people who did not know the one true God about the nature of worship. And in that sermon, at least a part of which is provided for us by inspiration, Paul said this, and I'm looking specifically at verses 24 and 25 of Acts 17, if you want to lock in on the specific verses. Paul said this to those unbelieving Athenians, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Watch this next thought, or at least two thoughts progressively. Where Paul says, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. That is, we're not doing him any great favor by showing up this morning, but he does want us to be here for a completely different purpose altogether. And then he goes on to say, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. But again, the, the, the proper response to those thoughts are, but we need to worship God. That is something that I think is inherent within every one of us. Anthropologists have never found any civilization that did not worship something or someone. I think that's because God has put within each of us something inherent, something innate, a desire to worship someone greater than ourselves. And Paul was acknowledging that when he was talking to those who didn't even know the one true God. And we all, every one of us, we're going to worship something or someone. They're going to be the number one priority in our lives. And whether we're willing to consciously acknowledge that, whether we've got a ranking list, some, you know, like a David Letterman top ten list, where all the things and our priorities in our life have been ranked, the reality is, even if we have done that unconsciously or subconsciously, we all are going to worship something or someone. It's going to be the number one priority in our lives. It might be a pursuit. It might be a person. It might be a pastime. It might be a position. But all of us are going to regard something as the most important thing in our lives while we're here on earth. So the place to begin in getting our heads on straight about this matter of worship is to acknowledge that the God of heaven, the sovereign God who spoke this world into existence, 
In a divine fiat, he is the one who is to be worshipped and not us. He is the number one priority in our lives, or at least he is supposed to be. And once we've established our priorities, have you noticed that everything then tends to fall into place? And I mean into proper place. Once we understand who is number one in our lives, and it's not me, It's not even my wife or my family. It's not my job. It's not the kind of car I drive, the neighborhood I live in. It's the God who made all of things possible for us to enjoy while we're on this earth. He is the number one thing, the person in my life that I need to highly regard. I need to look for opportunities and I need to anticipate the opportunity to be able to come here and to express my deep appreciation collectively with my brothers and sisters that God is, that he loves us, and that he has provided for a fabulous future for every single one of us. So we need to praise and honor God. Does that sound biblical? Because he alone is worthy of our worship. Jesus told the woman in the well, In John chapter 4, you remember that occasion. He said, but the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. John 4, 23 and 24. And here's another quick important thing that we need to realize when we worship God. And and, and I've said it in a a different way, but I'm going to come back and run at it again. When we worship, it is for our benefit and not God's. And that's why we need to beware of that spectator mentality that we've been trying to describe this morning. And the only way that we'll benefit from our worship is if we are participants. I mean deliberate participants and not just spectators. So here's an admonition. Let's determine whether we're here at the building or at our homes watching online that we truly engage in worship. You see, there are no accidental worshipers, are there? We've all got to decide what we're going to do, whether we're here or whether we're at home sitting in our living rooms. We've got to remove the distractions. Maybe we need to, this for most families, I imagine, is the number one challenge. We've got to put away the phone and concentrate on what we're doing and why we're doing it. Don't think about lunch afterward. Don't think about work tomorrow or tasks that need to be done today. Lock in on God with the absolute assurance that you can do it. He's not asking something that's impossible for us. It's also, it helps to make worship that that priority that we've been talking about. Don't, Don't make worship an afterthought. Make worship the centerpiece of your life, even if you're still at home watching online. I don't have the Bible verse for what I'm about to say. Trust me, I looked for it. But, but I haven't found a verse that, that tells me that God deliberately designed the first day of the week so that we would start each week off with thinking about and concentrating on spiritual things. Don't have the Bible verse for that. I do, th- I do know that God designed the first day of the week specifically for, as a day of worship, and there were several reasons that he did that. But again, using that on the very first day of the week to get our week off right, thinking about spiritual things, I haven't found the verse for that. But let me also add quickly, it makes perfect sense that we would have the first day of the week to think about and to get our week off right by thinking about the most important things in all of time and eternity. Don't allow other things to interfere with your worship time. Don't give God your leftovers. Give God your very best. And determine to participate in worship. We need to make worship something that we do that is a deliberate decision of will. 
Remember, and I've preached an entire lesson on this, don't worry, you're not going to get it this morning. But worship, I remind you, is not a noun, it's a verb. It is not a place you go, it is not something that you experience, it's not something that happens to you, it is something that each of us do because we've decided that that's what we're going to do, whether it's here or whether that might be at home. So whether you're in the church building, at home, worshiping online, I would encourage you to, to sing and think about what you're singing and, and to pray with the one who's leading the prayer, partake of the Lord's Supper and think deeply about the significance of that memorial feast and what that means to every one of us as believers. Don't give God your leftovers. Think seriously about the message that's being presented. Study the message, internalize it and personalize it, and think about how that message can make me a better Christian starting on, on Monday morning. Here's a quick second observation I want to make, and that is there's a danger of becoming disengaged from our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think in, in, in some ways, in my mind, that is one of the greatest dangers that we've had to experience for the last five months is to become disengaged from, from our church family. And I think, I think all of us, at least the conversations that I've had with my brothers and sisters, that you've been thinking along the same lines. You know, one of the most disturbing, this was a few weeks ago, one of the most disturbing comments that I've heard about uh, our present distress and about worshiping online only is, and, and I'm quoting her as best I can, I hope I don't get out of the habit of worshiping. And one of the reasons that was such a disturbing comment is because it's exactly right. I mean, that's, that's just right on it. We can easily do that, can't we? We can get out of the habit of doing what in our hearts we know is the, the absolute, should be the absolute number one thing in our lives. N not just offering our corporate worship to God, but also we can, we can get out of the habit of just being with God's people and making that a priority. Don't get me wrong. I'm delighted. And I've said this a number of times when I was presenting the lessons online. I, I'm delighted that we have the kind of technology that allows us to be able to worship online. And, and those at home that are watching us this morning, what if we didn't have this? I mean, you talk about, you talk about being severed from, from our church family. Wow. So at least we've had that, and I'm grateful for that. But the fact of the matter is, when we're worshiping online from home, the only people that we see in worship or the people sitting next to us in our living rooms, or, or wherever we might be. Or, or the people that we see on camera that are up here in the pulpit leading us in the acts of worship. Now for those four and a half months that we were online only, I got to come in on Wednesdays and do, that was the day that we did our recording for the following Sunday, and I got to see the guys that came to the building to record their part in leading us in, in worship, but that was, what, only four or five people per week. That's not the... That's not the body of Christ at UCC, is it? I mean, I got to see only a small fragment of people. And even as, as wonderful as it is, being, being a part of Ed's Zoom class on Sunday mornings did not allow me to see people in person. When Ed's class was over, I shook zero hands and hugged zero necks. And that's a part of what being in the body of Christ is all about, isn't it? Or am I completely off target here? I, I think all of us understand that at least at some level. I'm very much aware of the fact that these are unique times and that they are temporary, at least I hope. But this is still something that we all need to be aware of. I'm just saying it's so easy to become disconnected from our church family. And it's little wonder that, that we're urged to assemble with our brothers and sisters in Christ for the purpose of of worship. Before I end this lesson, I want to throw in these two passages because I think they're extremely relevant. Hebrews 10, 24 
and 25. By the way, sometimes we just quote and read verse 25, but 24 goes with it hand in hand for a very real reason. Here's what the Hebrews writer said by inspiration. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as the habit is some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think that's the ESV. The writer mentions another reason why we assemble for worship. And that is, according to verse 24, that we might encourage one another. The fact is, we can't do near as much stirring up love and good works and encouraging while we're worshiping at home. That's a good option, but it's not the best option. We understand that. And we also understand that that's the way we have to do and worship. Some still have to right now because of the circumstances. But I believe we all understand that that is not God's permanent design. I heard a phrase a number of times during this pandemic, and perhaps you've heard it as well. This is the new normal. No, it's not. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that this is the way it's always going to be, and we might as well just get used to it. We need physical presence, and we need to be together to speak to one another eye to eye and to shake hands and hug necks. We need to be together to actually work at finding ways as the Hebrews writer said, so that we can encourage one another, edify one another, build one another up in the most holy faith. Here's an obvious truth. It's more difficult to encourage others when you can't be with them physically. Difficult, but not impossible. Because of the present situation, I, we, need to, we need to start exercising our creativity zone that is, there are, there are ways that we can stay connected if only we will make that a conscious decision of will. There are many old and new ways we can do that. And technology has given us so many different ways to be stay connected today. We can make a phone call. Have you noticed that? I've got a brand new app on my phone that allows me to make and receive phone calls. Can you imagine? And so we can still call people on the phone and not have to worry about contagion. We can send a text. We can send an email. We can instant message someone. We can use Twitter. We can write a note. Yeah, we can. You remember how to do that? How to write a note? Don't forget to put a stamp on it. You can FaceTime someone. You can send a video. You can make a stand at the door six feet away visit. Or you can be a part of a drive-by parade. We've done that a few times for, for people that we wanted to honor. The Bible says, but encourage one another. This is Hebrews 3.13, by the way. And, and this, I think, is the marching orders that God has given to his church. Encourage one another day after day while it is still called today. In other words, don't put it off. Don't say, I'm going to write that note, make that call sometime this week. No, while it is called today, encourage one another, the writer says, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I hope that you saw the payoff in the latter part of that verse. Here's why it's so important that we continue to encourage one another even during this difficult time so that none of us will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I just have to tell you that that's my greatest fear during all of this. My, my greatest fear is that some of God's people who are weak in their faith or maybe who are brand new Christians are going to be recaptured by Satan during this time of enforced isolation. And I'm asking you, please, please, please don't let that happen. We need each other, and we need to give and receive encouragement from each other. That's what the Bible says. And our connection to one another helps us to stay connected to God. Have you noticed that triangular relationship in Scripture? 
My relationship to God is only as strong as my relationship to my brothers and sisters. My relationship to my brothers and sisters is only as strong as my relationship to God. It all works together because that's God's design. And if that weren't so, then Christ would not have purchased the church, that's us, with his own precious blood. The reality is if we don't stay connected with one another, it's going to be a lot easier for us to disconnect from God. And that's a potential danger that I think we all have to seek to overcome. It's a vital part of being an overcomer. One last thought. There's also the danger of becoming disengaged from our service to God. I've heard this statement made a few times during the last few months. When this thing is over, I'm going to do thus and so. Well, what are we doing now? There's still things that we can do to serve others right now. Maybe not exactly the same things that we were doing before this started, but we can still do some things. And many, if if not all of us, have spent more time at home in the last five months than, than we ever could have imagined. Well, out of that also comes a great blessing. You got to spend more time with your family, but, but it's also brought some very real and unique challenges. And here's one of the challenges. And I'm speaking for myself, but I, I, I sense that others struggle with this, and so I'm going to mention it. The more time I spend isolated from people, the more inward my focus becomes. I can begin thinking about, here's what I want to do, here's what I would like to have, here's what I, I would really enjoy right now. And, and, and all of a sudden, I realize that, man, the whole universe is rotating around me. Or at least the way that, that's the way I'm thinking. The challenge is to find ways of connecting with other people and serving God. Are you listening, church? Serving God by serving others, even when we have to be socially distanced. By the way, as somebody has pointed out, perhaps social distancing isn't the right term for it. We all have to be physically distant, but we can still be social, can't we? And so instead of focusing on what we can't do, my challenge to each of us is to let's focus on what we can do. What, what the limitations will allow us to do. So as I said a moment ago, now's the time to be creative. What are some ways that we can be of service to others during this pandemic? How can we serve other people and even, even help lead people to Christ, as some of you have been doing in, in the last few weeks? We've had baptisms here over the last few weeks during this pandemic, and that's because some of you have not put your lives on hold. You're continuing to serve God by serving others, and, and you're to be applauded for that. Do something for someone that doesn't require that close contact. You can go cut someone's grass if they need that cut. Prepare or order a meal for someone, some family that's having a difficult time. Connect through some of the old and the new ways that we just mentioned a moment ago and invite others to study the Bible. And even if you're not comfortable sitting you know, at your kitchen table to do that, World Bible School is a tremendous way of being able to do that. Uh, that you're able to mail the lessons to them. They can mail them back, and there's no physical contact at all. We can still be planting the seed of God's Word in the hearts and lives of people. And we don't have to wait till we turn the corner on this pandemic to be serving others and serving God by being servants of humanity. I think the potential danger in the socially distanced worship from home times, if I can encapsulate all of that in one word, the word would be disengagement. Let's determine to not let that happen. And I'm talking to the people here this morning who are in the building, who are listening to me and watching me live, and as well as to those of you at home who are watching online. Let's be exactly what Paul said in our text. 
Let's be more than conquerors. Let's be overcomers. Let's overcome the present situation and determine that we're going to serve God in in whatever capacity that we can, given the limitations of the hour. Let's be overcomers. Faith really is the victory that overcomes the world. And I really believe this with all my heart, and I'll leave this with you. The world is watching us as God's people to see how that we act and react to this difficult time, to see whether our faith is real, whether it stands up under the tough times as well as when the sun is shining and the sky is blue. And most of all, let's find ways that we can engage in worship to God and to connect to, with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to serve God by serving others, even if we have to do that from a safe distance for now. So until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you six feet apart. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here this morning. As I've mentioned already, we've had people who've been added to the body of Christ even during this pandemic. It may well be that there are those of you in this building who are worshiping and watching online who have made that conscious decision in your life that you're no longer going to serve the world. You're not going to serve Satan anymore. You're going to serve the Lord. And the Bible tells you exactly from the day of Pentecost forward how to do that through your faith in God and in his son, Jesus Christ. You're going to repent of all of your past sins. You're going to confess his beautiful, sweet name as the son of God. We'll be happy to baptize you into Christ so that you can leave this place with no sins laid to your charge. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?